Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, I'm excited about the message this morning. Uh, We're going to jump straight into the word, John 15, 26. It reads like this. It says, I will send you the helper from the Father. The helper is the spirit of truth who comes from the Father. I'm gonna read that again. I'm gonna send you, come on, say that with me, the helper from the Father, and the helper is the spirit of truth who comes from the Father. This morning, I wanna talk to you from this thought. We need help. We need help. Yes, we do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you are the God of divine miracles. That means that you can intervene. You can move mountains. You can do what only you can do, Father. And we pray this morning that you do just that, that you show up and you move in a significant way. Holy Spirit, I pray that you remove any distractions, any anxiousness we came in, anything that could be hindering us from receiving what you have for us. We don't want just another message. We don't want just another church service. We want an encounter with the Spirit of God because it is only when we have an encounter with you that everything changes. God, we know you are the God of miracles. So help the saints tomorrow night with the bucks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I can't take too much more loss. This is worst fan, I'll be honest. Oof. I have a question for you. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Okay, well, half of you were liars. Uh, true story, my wife and I have a two-year-old son and he recently told his first lie. I'm discovering he has more of his mother's side in him than my side in him. Come on, I come from a lineage of pastors. We don't lie, we exaggerate. Um, let, me, let me explain what happened. Maybe you'll give him a little more grace. John Wesley and I have developed this tradition where Every day when I leave church, I, uh, I buy him a pack of Hostess powdered donuts. Now, if you've ever had a Hostess powdered donut, you know you can't just eat one. You got to eat the whole pack. So I eat two. He eats two before we get home and his mom starts feeding him organic things. It's becoming our, it's our thing that we have. A couple weeks ago, I, I realized that this was birthing some very bad eating habits for him. Uh, Rochelle told me he's only wanting sugary things now. I don't know what's going on. For breakfast, he's saying donut. She's like, why is he saying donut? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> She's never given him a donut. My wife is like so strict. I'm like, I don't know why he's saying that. It's so weird. Huh? So him and I had a conversation. You know, he's cognitive enough to think, understand yes, no. I said, John Wesley, listen, bro, it's getting out of hand. No more donuts. Yes, sir. He says, yes, sir. He knows, yes, sir. No, sir. He knows what that means. A couple weeks ago, I'm sitting on my couch on Saturday watching college football, and I hear some ruffling in the background that sounds like a donut wrapper from the bottom drawer of my nightstand, my secret spot. (laughs) And like any good dad, you know, I yell across the room because I'm watching the game, so I just, just, John Wesley, are you eating donuts? And he says... No. I trusted him. He's never lied to me before. We have a good relationship. About a minute later, I hear the ruffling again. I'm like, John Wesley, 
are you eating powdered donuts? No, sir. He knew what he was saying. About a minute again, it continues to happen. And I get up and I go across in my bedroom and look what I see. Look at this. Look at that. That's like the I got caught. There's no recovering from this moment. I have no words. Disappointed. But the truth is, is we've all had moments where we have told lies. But what I've realized is the scary thing in life is not when you are a kid telling them. It gets scary when you grow up and you start believing them. I remember the first time that I bought into a lie. I remember distinctly being 14 years old. And for the first time in my life, I was hyper aware of everyone around me. I mean, my friends, I remember distinctly thinking, I need to change who I am in order to be liked. I remember having that thought. I remember thinking I need to listen to what they listen to, dress like they dress. I need to be someone else. I remember at 14 years old buying into the lie of insecurity. Fast forward two years and I'm 16 years old and I'm at a friend's house and he pulls up his computer and we went over and this is the first time in my entire life that at 16 years old, I was exposed to pornography. Little did I know that that was a seed planted by the enemy that would plague me into my adulthood. The plague of our day is addiction. And I believe before it hits opiates, it starts with pornography. I know this is an uncomfortable topic, but if the church doesn't talk about it, who will? Um, you can clap. And this is very demonic. And I'm a young person. I'm 31 years old. I'm relatively young. So I'm not an angry preacher saying it's demonic. No, it's actually demonic. Uh, Matthew 5, 8. Let me break this down for you for a moment. It says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. I want you to see this. Your ability to see God is directly tied to your purity. Because of the porn industry today, spending millions of dollars searching for your young people, they don't have to look for it, it's looking for them. So I'm on my iPad scrolling and my two-year-old is sitting on my lap and a picture of a half-naked woman pops up. Think about this, the culture we're living in, this isn't normal. We've normalized, but it's not normal. For the first time in his life, his purity is stolen before he even has a chance to give it away. Think about this. What's the very first thing the enemy comes to do? Steal. This is a spiritual battle we're fighting, this addiction. Remember, Ephesians 6, 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil. At 16 years old, I became addicted. So now I am insecure, now I'm addicted, and then now fast forward, and now I'm in my 20s. And now I'm hopping in and out of dating relationships, looking for fulfillment in a person that could only be found in my relationship with God. Uh, if you don't know this this morning, relationships were never meant to complete you. That's a lie our culture has told us. I'm broken and you're broken, so when we're together, we make like a beautiful brokenness. No, like I'm broken, you're broken, and if we get together, it's gonna be hell. 
All the married people said amen. Relationships were never meant to complete you. They were meant to complement you. If you are not complete with your relationship with Jesus, no man or woman will ever satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. I was with a good friend of mine, Mason the barber. He's back there, and him and I were in my truck last week, and we were talking, and I said, Mason, the greatest advice that anyone ever gave me as a single person on how to find the one is you run after Jesus as fast as you can, and when you see someone running as fast as you, pay attention to that person. If you're single here, run after Jesus as fast as you can. I wasted so many years of my life looking around and searching, and I ended up in this really toxic cycle. Seasons change regardless of you. Cycles don't change until you change. And I was in and out of this toxic cycle, hopping from relationship to relationship to relationship, and it wasn't until I said, you know what? Maybe I just need to work on me for a minute. Maybe I just need to focus on my relationship with God. And when I did that, believe it or not, I found someone that was doing what I was doing. I spent years of my life insecure, addicted. And then I found myself in this place where I'm broken. And you know what I realized? Whenever you are insecure, addicted, and broken, you keep everyone at an arm's distance. I mean, we're in South Louisiana, so people are really friendly, so it might not look like it. You might have a smile on your face. You might be going to the football games. You might be coming to church. You might be sitting here this morning. I did it my entire life. But when you're that broken, you don't want anyone to know who you really are, so you put a smile on your face, and you become isolated. Yeah. And you come to church, and people say, hey, how you doing? And you say, I'm doing really good. And I would come to church and services like this, and pastors would say, hey, man, tell me, how's your relationship with God? Oh, it's great. I'm doing amazing. I'm better than ever. Really? Yeah, so good. Okay. And then I was 25 years old. Something happened that changed my life. Maybe some of you have had this experience. If not, you're going to have an opportunity to this morning. When I was 25 years old, I heard a message from now one of my pastors, Pastor Obed Martinez, and he preached this message called, You Can Still Get There on Broken Pieces. Changed my life. For the first time, I had this revelation that God doesn't require me to be good and then go to him. God doesn't even require that I have it all together first and then come to him. That's not the God you see in the Bible. The God you see in the Bible is a God that will go to prostitutes' homes and he would go to the tax collectors and the people that were outcast in the community is the people he came for. The first time in my life, I realized all God actually requires for me to be used significantly is my trust. Like, I'm messed up, I'm jacked up, I think I'm too far gone, but I'm reading your word and it's saying that you do beautiful things with broken people, so I'm gonna give you my life because I'm holding the steering wheel and it's crazy right now. So I surrendered my life to Jesus. And when I did, it was a fresh start. All the insecurity all the anger, all the addiction, all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the hangups, all the baggage. Fresh start, new beginning. You see this in scriptures like 1 John 1, 7. It says, the blood of Jesus, 
His son cleanses us from all sin, A-L-L. Don't buy into this lie that like, yeah, it's like little sin. No, 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 all sin, all sin. The nasty sin that you don't wanna tell anyone about, that sin. God died for that sin. Look at this scripture, Micah 7, 19. It says, your sin is casted into a sea of forgetfulness, meaning God doesn't remember it. It's forgotten, it's gone, which leads me to this point. And I wanna hang here for a moment. I believe one of the most harmful things in Christianity is shame. It's shame. Because shame is when you go back and you decide to relive something that God has already decided to forgive. Shame, I want you to see this because we do this often. Shame is when we go back and we start taking things from Jesus that he's already taken from us. Could you imagine if I sell you my truck? I have a 2018 F-150, I love my truck. Could you imagine if I sell you my truck? You pay for it, you give me money, I give you the keys, I take the title out, we both sign the back, it's now your truck. You drive away. Could you imagine if two years later I showed up to your house with a spare key and got in the truck and started it? Someone at the 8 a.m. said, you wouldn't get that far, buddy. That'd be stealing. You know why? Because it doesn't belong to me anymore. It's been paid for. Shame is when you go back and you start accessing something that no longer belongs to you. It's been paid for. There's a price that was paid. The moment you got saved, the Bible says your sins are forgiven. It's a fresh start. It's a new beginning. And this is so important because almost all of the counseling sessions I do with people, it's not because Jesus has not forgiven them, it's because they have not forgiven themselves. And they spend a lifetime trying to forgive something that the Bible's very clear, it's been forgotten. Meaning, he doesn't even remember it. So this morning, I wanna spitfire a couple of scriptures. The Bible actually has 127 scriptures that talk about forgiveness, 127. So I don't know what you see when you see this word, call it a grace message, I believe it's grace and truth. Grace alone is meaningless. If it's just truth, it's just mean, but grace and truth together make for good medicine. So when I read this Bible, I see, I see the God of grace. And I would rather err on the side of grace than on the side of harsh religion. That's just me. When I read this book, I see a God who goes out of his way to tell you and I, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Yeah, I know it was jacked up. You're forgiven. You know why? because I think he probably knew how hard you and I would be on ourselves. So I would wanna throw out a couple scriptures this morning that emphasize his forgiveness. Scriptures like 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Think about that verbiage, new creation, meaning it's like a brand new child. When I had my son, he didn't exist on October 29th and he existed on October 30th. It's a new creation. It's a new birth. It's a brand new thing. Meaning people might look at you the same, but God doesn't look at you the same. It's a new creation. The old has passed away. We buried you the, 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 the day you committed your life to Jesus, that old you, it's gone. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's look at Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's good news this morning. It's a great place to clap. 
So I gave my life to Jesus. 25 years old, fresh start. I was jacked up, broken, gave it to him. But I noticed something that bothered me. Maybe you might relate to me this morning. I went to sleep that Wednesday night. And do you know that when I woke up the next day, some of the same stuff that I gave to Jesus showed right back up? It's like the same insecurity that I was wrestling with came right back. And some of the same anger and some of the same addiction, it's like it kept on coming back in. It's like I know that I'm a born-again child of God. I know I'm a new creation. I know that I'm, but, but it seems like I just don't have the power to overcome this thing. I, it's like the more I came to church and pressed in, I was so confused because I heard about this new thing, but it didn't match what was actually going on behind closed doors. Is anyone with me this morning? I have good news for you this morning. You and I aren't the only ones to have this struggle, this dilemma. When you read the Bible, you actually see the disciples who followed Jesus, walked with Jesus, saw Jesus do miracles, had this same exact struggle. Peter had an anger issue. Thomas had a doubting issue. Judas had a greed issue. And at the cross, all of the disciples left Jesus because of a fear issue. So they believed in Jesus, they loved Jesus, they came to the 9 a.m. service, they raised their hands, they were a part of the church, they were here, they were in it, but they kept on falling short. So do you know what Jesus did? John 15, 26, Jesus recognized the situation and he said, you know what? I'm gonna send you a helper from the Father. You see, Jesus sent us a helper because he knew that we need help. This morning, I wanna introduce you to the helper. His name is the Holy Spirit. I wanna give you three attributes of the Holy Spirit. If you would take notes this morning, these are three attributes. Uh, I wanna give this kind of preclaimer. I think the Holy Spirit has gotten a really bad rap, so I just wanna say this. The Holy Spirit isn't weird. People are. You know what I'm saying? I met some weird people. The Holy Spirit is not weird. So whatever you think when I say the Holy Spirit, just give me just 17 minutes and 20 seconds to just fresh start. First thing is the Holy Spirit is a guide. Come on, say guide. Holy Spirit is a guide. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. When I got filled with the Holy Spirit in 2018, I got a guide. True story, four years ago, my wife and I moved to Southern California. Um, if you don't know this, Southern California is very different than South Louisiana. Can I get an amen? Just making sure. We moved to California, and uh, when we moved, we moved to serve with one of my pastors, Pastor Obed, who went to do youth and young adult ministry, and my pastor, Pastor Jim LaFoon, said, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't you and Rochelle go, and what we'll do is we'll have a phone call every year just to feel it out, just to see where you guys are at. He knew that it was our heart's desire to live here, to serve here, to build here, so that was the agreement we had. About six months into living in California, we were ready to come home, badly. Got very homesick very, very, very quickly. We we're both born and raised in Lafayette, Louisiana. I don't know if you know this, but if you travel abroad, we have our own country. We have our own language, our own food, our own people. As I showed up in all camo Sitka gear, thinking like I'm balling, they looked at me like I was an alien. 
So uh, the end of year one comes and we have the phone call from Pastor Jim. He says, Joseph, how are you feeling? I said, well, it's time to come home. He said, well, have you prayed about it? And I said, no, what is there to pray about? It's not the right thing to say to your pastor. He said, Joseph, you, you are not even close to being ready to come home. Okay. We head into year two. And uh, honestly, you, year two was amazing. Year two, we were building this young adult ministry. We were being faithful where God called us to be. We had a conversation after that first phone call that if we're going to be here, we're going to make the most of it. We're going to build. Like this is where God has called us. We're going to be faithful with little. The Bible says faithful with little, faithful with much. We're going to be faithful. We still got to that place halfway through year two. I'm like, I'm sorry, God. I just, I don't like California. I don't want to be here. Like we're building it. Things are happening. It's great. You're moving. But like, we do not want to be here. So December comes. We know we're close to the phone call. So we did a 30-day fast. We didn't eat. We didn't drink. We're praying every day, three hours a day. I'm ready for this phone call. The phone rings. I answer it. And Pastor Jim says, well, Joseph, uh, how are you feeling? I said, I feel prayed up. It's like I have a word from the Lord. He said, Joseph, how would you feel if I told you you needed to stay in California another year? I told him, I don't think you would be hearing from the Lord. That's actually what I told him. He said, Joseph, you, you're not ready to come home. Okay. So now we're going to year three. And if you know anything about my wife and I's story, year three was the hardest year of our lives. We had two miscarriages. Uh, it was one of the darkest seasons. We were so far away from home. California, if you're from California, I don't sound like a California bashing session, but man, it's just, it's a dark place. When you're from Lafayette, Louisiana, you have family everywhere. I have more family in the line at Helos than I had for a year in California. You know what I'm saying? People just know you. Who's your mama? Who's your daddy? It's like, oh my gosh, let's watch an LSU game next week. That's just, it's our culture. It was lonely. It was hard. It was difficult. That third year was hell. Me personally, my wife personally, if you've had a miscarriage, if you've experienced loss, you know the toll that that takes on you, which then is a byproduct on your marriage. It was tough. At the end of year three, we came home for Christmas. Our routine was we would do our Christmas Eve service and then we would catch a red eye to Lafayette. We'd land in Lafayette December 25th. We would be here for two days and then fly back home and be there for a year. And that was our routine. And I remember getting on that flight going back to California after having spent a couple of days in a place where we knew God had called us. This was our family. This was our friends. This is where we're supposed to be. And I remember that plane taking off and me just looking at the seat in front of me and I was just so upset. I was just asking, like, what are you doing? I don't get it. I don't understand it. This makes no sense. This is year three. This is an eternity. And as I'm thinking all these things, I look to my left and my wife is just sitting, looking at the seat in front of her and just weeping. And in that moment, I said, God, we, we need a word from you. I grabbed her hand and I said, we're gonna pray. It's always most difficult to pray in moments like that. And the only way I can describe it, I know this makes absolutely no sense. By the time I said amen and that plane had taken off, it was like there was a switch that was flipped off that God flipped on. And when I said amen, my wife said, Joseph, what if we're like called to live, live in California? Like, what if this is it? 
And then I said, like, what if, like, God calls us to go overseas and we get to be missionaries? And then it was like, what if following the will of God for our life isn't about what's comfortable or convenient for you and I? What if it's about just, like, understanding what a privilege we have to do what we get to do? And I kid you not, by the time that plane landed, the people that we couldn't stand, we loved. Like the city we'd been begging to get out of for three years, we had a heart for. Like we loved living in California. We loved the people. We loved the culture. Like we fell in love with where God had us. This was December 30th. Pastor Jim calls January 2nd, answered the phone. I said, hey, Pastor Jim. He says, well, how you doing? I said, man, we're doing great, honestly. Doing phenomenal. He said, Joseph, what would you do if I asked you to stay there another year? I said, Pastor, honestly, I'll do it. I'll go anywhere. I don't really care. It's a privilege that we get to do what we get to do. I'm so grateful for the opportunity, genuinely. He said, Joseph, it's time to come home. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, Pastor Jim was in town this last week for a couple days with our staff, and him and I went to breakfast, and we never talked about the story since. You know, we, we talked once a year, so he didn't realize what was going on. He didn't realize the miscarriages in year three. He didn't realize. And I'm sitting there at breakfast. I said, Pastor Jim, do you realize you told us to come home on January 2nd? So we put in our 30 days. took us a while to move. We moved to Lafayette on February 28th. Do you realize that, like, the nationwide shutdown of the, the world was happening two weeks after that? Like, how did you know that? And like only Pastor Jim can do. He said, Joseph, the Holy Spirit's been my guide for 67 years and he's never led me astray. You see, God has a divine destination for each and every one of us. And the Holy Spirit is your God-given GPS to guide you to your destination. It's not a coincidence when you're spirit-led that things just work out. It's a God incidence. It's not a coincidence that things just arrange themselves perfectly. It's not a coincidence you were there for three years and two weeks after you were back, everything shuts down. That is God working all things together for my good. Whenever you are led by the Spirit, whenever the Holy Spirit is your guide, God is always guiding your future. The Holy Spirit is your guide. The second thing is the Holy Spirit is power. Come on, say power. Now, the visual that I have for this is a flashlight with no batteries in a dark room. It does nothing. That's power. It's power. The Bible says that we're called to be the light of the world. And I'm trying to figure this out, so don't come up my life. But when I got saved and was in love with Jesus, it was amazing. And I was a passionate Jesus follower. But it was like I was a flashlight with no batteries. I wasn't telling people about Jesus at the gym. I wasn't telling people about Jesus at the grocery store. I wasn't actually sharing my faith. My faith existed for Sundays in small groups. When I got filled with the Holy Spirit in 2018, it was like someone put two 12-volt batteries together. It's, it's, it's who I am. I, I, I have power. The greatest example of this is in Luke 22 with Peter. I'm gonna try to summarize this. 
If you don't know who Peter is, Peter is the most passionate disciple that we see in the Bible. He's the guy with the Jesus t-shirt. He's the guy sitting on the front row with his hands raised. He's the guy that is a Jesus follower to the max. But in Luke 22, something happens. Jesus gets arrested and it is no longer popular to be a Jesus follower. The sexiness, the miracles, the we're like with this celebrity superhero guy, all that's gone. He's now in chains and now everyone is fearful. And now we see a different side of Peter than we've ever seen. Look here, Luke 22, 54 through 60. Remember, to be associated with Jesus at this moment meant you would be arrested and persecuted and killed. It says, then they, they being the Romans, seized him, him being Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. Jesus was never meant to be followed at a distance. I did it for years. If that's you, the Bible says, if, when you're, if you're lukewarm, God will spit you out. It's better to be hot or cold. Can I tell you one of the things I did enjoy, and please hear my heart, one of the things I did enjoy about being in California, people were black and white. I believe in Jesus and it's what I believe in. I don't believe in God, you're crazy. In South Louisiana, Christianity has become something that we just do. You go out on Saturday and you go to church on Sunday. I did that for years and it was miserable. And it gave me a distorted view of who God was because proximity creates passion, but distance creates distortion. So people have a very distorted view of who God is because you've been following him at a distance, coming to church once a week when he wants a daily relationship with you. Could you imagine if I talked to my wife once a week? It'd be a bad relationship. But oftentimes that's how we operate in our relationship with God. Peter was following him at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl. When you're overcome with fear, it doesn't take much. This is not a Roman guard. This is not a high official. This is a servant girl. Seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, hey, this man was also with him. But he denied it. This is hilarious. Like a chapter before this, brother was cutting off a Roman guard's ear for Jesus. Y'all remember that? We all have that friend that I will cut you for you. Like Peter was that guy. A chapter before, cut off someone's ear. I will die for you. I'd do anything for you. A servant girl. I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, hey, yo, yo, aren't, aren't you also one of his followers? Man, I am not. Second time. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Three times Peter denies Jesus. Three times Peter turns his back on Jesus. I want you to see this. This is very important right here. Peter followed Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. And Peter believed in Jesus. This is not a belief issue. This is a power issue. He doesn't have any power. Let's fast forward two chapters because we see something entirely different happen. Remember the helper we're talking about here, the Holy Spirit. Beginning of Acts, 
King Jesus. We see from that point in the story to where we're at right now, Jesus has died on the cross, he's resurrected. Whenever someone talks about King Jesus, they call him King Jesus because he's the resurrected Jesus. Jesus, pre-crucifixion, King Jesus, post. We see King Jesus, he's resurrected, he's with his disciples and he's telling them about the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, y'all need help? I'm sending help, help us on the way. Jesus ascends into heaven, all the disciples come together in the upper room and then Acts 2 happened. Wild, here we go. They were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, a sound, I love that. The very first thing that the, 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 the disciples got with the Holy Spirit was a sound. Whenever you are a spirit-filled believer, there's a chain-breaking sound on the inside of you. This is why it's important, parents, to pray. This is why it's important for your children to hear you because it's like you're breaking something in your home whenever that spirit is inside of you. A heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, here we go timid. They're afraid. They're fearful. Peter's hanging out with like a five-year-old servant girl. Like, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know this guy. Gets filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the very next verse. Uh, Theologians say that there was 3,000 people that are listening to this message. Peter, filled the power of the Holy Spirit, walks out of the room. This is what he says. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Lord shall be saved. Peter got power. Salvation gets you access to heaven. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to bring heaven on earth. What Peter is saying here is, I don't have to wait till I go to heaven. I believe in the last days, which by the way, I do believe we're in the last days. God's gonna pour out his spirit and miracles are gonna begin to happen. People hopping out of wheelchairs. I don't know about you, but I wanna see our city turned upside down for Jesus. I wanna see signs and wonders. I wanna see miracles. In 2018, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I got power. I get the power of the Holy Spirit. Me sitting up here communicating to you, I am not that educated. I got my GED. True story. All my people with GED, amen, I'm with you. Me and you together, baby. (laughs) Hey, this is nothing but the Holy Spirit. Number three, the Holy Spirit is your comforter. Come on, say comforter. God, we live in such an anxious world. I've worked in student ministry for the last 10 years. 10 years. And you would be heartbroken sitting in a room with some of these kids that are struggling with suicide. 13, 14, 15 years old. At 13, 14, 15 years old, that that wasn't a thing when I was growing up. But the culture has gotten so dark so quickly because of social media, it's, it's crazy. 
And we have 13 and 14-year-olds who are on heavy doses of Xanax. That's real. I read this statistic. It broke my heart. American Psychological Institute. Look at this. Studies show the normal child today reports more anxiety than a child's psychiatric patient in the 50s. I'm not anti-doctors. Please hear me. Because I... I That frustrates me. Doctors are a gift from God. They are needed. We have several in the church. They are such a help. We need them. They are a God-given blessing to this house and to us as people. But having said that, if you don't have the peace of the Holy Spirit, then you're always gonna be treating the fruit and never actually dealing with what the root is. You wanna know how I can go through hell and not lose my peace? Because I have a source you don't have. So I experience peace that you don't. So my peace isn't circumstantial. Maybe you're here this morning and you have circumstantial peace. That means I'm good if my money's good, if my marriage is good, and if my kids are good, and if the market's good, and the person I want to get elected gets elected, and if LSU wins. Circumstantial peace. That's not peace that comes from the Holy Spirit. A couple months ago, I got a call into the church and it was for a stage four cancer diagnosis. Guy had been given uh, three months to live. And when you hear this as a pastor, that's all I heard, you know, you just kind of, someone very, very old going in, just they've lived a long life. That's always, as a pastor, I'm going in just ready for that. I remember going to Lord's Hospital and opening the door and there was a 23-year-old kid sitting in that room. And if I can be very transparent as a pastor, I I was in uncharted waters. I'd never been in a situation like that. It wrecked me. And I went and I sat next to his bed and I start, you know, talking about his future and God's got you. And, and, And I think he could tell that I was shook. About halfway through, he said, Pastor, just so you know, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I have peace. I'm good. I'm excited to see the presence of Jesus. I know where I'm going. My eternity's taken care of. My future is secured. And it wrecked me. Wrecked me. I started crying. He's counseling me. Wrecked me. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's why it's called peace that passes all understanding. I don't even understand it. I don't even get it. You're 23 years old. Like, that's so scary, Dad. I just, I don't know. I'm good. Why? I'm filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I know where I'm going. This morning, I want to give you the opportunity to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the guide who knows your future. And the comfort that isn't circumstantial that carries you through every season of life. With every head bowed and every eye closed. The first group I want to talk to is the group that are saying, Pastor, I know you were talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. But like earlier in your message, whenever you were talking about insecure and broken, like that's me. Like I don't even know Jesus. I want to tell you something. God loves you for who you really are, not for who you pretend to be. 
The real you, when you go home at night and you close your door and you put your head on your pillow and you put your phone down and it's just you, that person is who God is jealous for. That's who he loves. You can't do enough to get to him. That's why he came to you. God loves you. He's jealous for you. He's seen you in the darkest moments and he's been waiting for you to choose him because he chose you 2,000 years ago. That's you, every head bowed, every eyes closed, and you're saying, Pastor, I want a personal relationship with Jesus. I can't keep living life the way I've been living it. I can't do it. I've been doing it on my own. I'm done living the way I've been living. I want a personal relationship with Jesus. If that's you, every head bowed, every eyes closed, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, he's been waiting for you. Two, don't miss your opportunity. Three, if that's you right here, you're in a personal relationship with Jesus, why don't you raise your hand so I can pray with you? I see you, I see you, hands up all over. Hands up all over. Yeah. Yeah, I see you. I see you. I see you. You can put your hands down. I'm gonna ask one more time because I know there's someone that's so covered in shame you don't even wanna raise your hand. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss this moment. If that's you, if you already raised your hand once, don't raise it again. I'm gonna give you just five seconds. If that's you, you didn't raise your hand, you're saying, Pastor, I need to raise my hand. My heart's beating out of my chest. Right now, raise your hand if that's you. I see you. I see you. You can bow your head. Second group here. Same Pastor. I'm a follower of Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. But when you were talking about a guide, when you were talking about being filled with power, whenever you're talking about comfort, I don't have the Holy Spirit. I need that. That comfort you were talking about, that 23-year-old kid, I, I, I want that. That power, I'm so timid, I need that. That guide, my future is so uncertain, I, I, I need that. If that's you, every head bowed, every eyes closed, and you're saying, I wanna be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, on the count of three, if you just raise your hand, one, two, three. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Yeah, you can put your hands down. Church family, can we pray this prayer together with those that just made the decision to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the guide that leads, the power that strengthens, and the comfort that keeps. I break all fear, I break all doubt, and I break anything that's holding me back. I surrender, I submit, and I speak out. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. May I never be the same. So you don't name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.